Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Manchester City have agreed a deal for their top summer target. 90 million euros for RB Leipzig's Josko Gvardiol. What does it take to succeed under Pep Guardiola? And where does this take Manchester City as they hunt down a fourth successive Premier League title, fresh from winning a treble last season? I'm Ayoweke Moleri. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Big deal for Manchester City. We've known for a long time that they wanted to sign Gvardiol. He'd been one of their top targets and they have managed to agree a transfer fee of 90 million euros. Okay, well, joining us to discuss Manchester City's move for Josko Gvardiol, what it means for Pep Guardiola's side and the rest of the Premier League, we have our Manchester football writer Mark Critchley and also former City defender Nadam Anua with us. Mark, let's start with you on this one. You wrote about this in The Athletic, 90 million euros already agreed. Still some formalities, medical still to, to come. Should City fans be expected to see Guardiol this weekend at the Charity Shield? Oh, this weekend, I think it might just come a little soon. Uh, people I was talking to yesterday, yeah, obviously 90 million, no add-ons. Uh, he's set for his medical in the next couple of days. Um, still a few things to iron out, uh, just paperwork-wise, but uh, there's absolutely no concerns over it. It's happening. Um, so perhaps not this weekend. You might be looking more towards Burnley, first game of the season, Friday night uh, next week. Um, maybe as a sub. He's not played. He had to sit out of two Leipzig friendlies as well uh, this week to to get the deal done. So fitness will be a thing. But no, it's been it's been a long time coming. Uh, nobody would deny that. Um, it's hardly a secret. Talks have been long. Um, it's the, the real issue has been the fee. Uh, Leipzig were holding pretty firm on 100 million, uh, but City have managed to bring them down to 90, and uh, it's all set. So number one priority signing in before the start of the season. And uh, I finally started typing Guardiola rather than Guardiola every time I write his name now. So uh, good to get that out of the way too first. But yeah, um, number one target through the door. So almost through the door at least. So they'll be very happy. Yes, you know, I had to call my Croatian friend last night and say, how do you pronounce his name? Because it's that <laughs> J as well. It's Josko Gvardiol. And it's like, like a silent GV, but like, we'll get there in the end. Don't worry, I'm you sure. You got it, bro. Be- you already got be- it, man. Yeah, Bear commentator's <laughs> going to have issues with this anyway. Right, I tell you what, to explain what City are getting inside Gvardiol, here's the athletic Seb Stafford Bloor with The View from Germany. There are a few rough edges. I think what you're getting with him is a first-rate passer, a very, very skillful player, an excellent carrier. So all of those things tick a box. What I would say is that there are occasions when he can be impetuous, which perhaps with a possession-heavy dominant team like Manchester City won't show up so much. And actually, if you're, if City have a weakness historically, it's been a kind of a vulnerability to the counter-attack. Guardiola has the athletic uh, abilities to 
nullify most breaking players, so that's an obvious strength. But just watch out for him in the tackle. Every now and again, there can be a yes, there, there can be a compulsiveness, there can be a desire to be a little bit too proactive, which can lead to some sort of slightly ugly moments. But by no means should that be considered anything other than a little bit of a flaw and something which, as a 21-year-old player, there's certainly a lot of time to iron that kind of thing out. Yeah, Nadim just heard that. Obviously, flaws in his game, but I, I also read in the Athletic if if modern football could design a current defender, this young man could really fit that mold. What do you think? Yeah, it certainly seems that way, and I think the fact that he's left-footed as well just adds that little bit extra value to it because most teams are seeking that sort of balance on that side. Because don't get me wrong, a right-footed player can play it there, but it sort of affects the way that you play out, the way people move. You know, some people always drawn towards going to their right side when you want the balance to be more left-sided. But I think of all the stuff which I've heard about him and seen from him, it's, I feel like I've been talking about him for like two years, maybe three years, but he's mm. 21. That's like, that's really young. He's 21. You know, when that's you- That's just how long the transfer took, mate. That's, yeah, that's, exactly. That's, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, it, but he's been impression, impressing rather, especially on the international stage in the last two tournaments, very, you know, very clearly. And yeah, I think- you can see that he's going to have so many good years ahead of him. And he is so, so young. The, the age of 21, like we're talking from a Man City perspective about the likes of uh, Rico Lewis's Cole Palmer's, and they're only like a year younger than him. Mm. You know, so that's the sort of grouping that he's in whilst also being somebody who's been spoken about on the world stage for uh, how well he's done so far. So I think it's a, it's a very good signing with huge potential. I think City have got some very hardened defenders in there already who aren't like, you know, many years older. But have been there, they've done that. But in Vardiol, I think they've got the potential to have somebody who could, you know, be one of the best in the world. And yeah, I uh, I like the deal. I like the fact he's young. And yeah, I'm expecting big things from him in the years to come. Yeah, Mark, this is a massive statement of intent from City. So Mike, I mean, look, other teams are looking at this thinking, do they need another defender? Come on, man. Like, you know, they've got a really good stack of players already. Obviously, we're having some exits at this moment in time. Mahrez, good one. But at centre-back position, particularly, City seems to have an abundance of talent there. It's great they got the deal done, but do they actually need him? Well, look, I think the first thing to say is that like very few players start every single game with the Pep. Um, you saw a settled side at the end of last season. You, it was weird because you could almost predict it and know who will be playing in the biggest games. But that is a rarity. Um, and so that rotation will still be there. There'll still be opportunities for uh, each of these big names at centre-back that they've got. Um, there was also the shift, of course, to four centre-backs across the back line at the end of last season. And we've seen them move in that direction. And then a part of that as well is just... The situation that you've got ongoing at the minute with Kyle Walker, Cancelo's back at the club, but there's question marks over whether he's fully trusted given the way that his relationship broke down with Guardiola uh, midway through last season. Um, and so, look, if, if those two are uncertain, well then, who, who's your right back going to be? Uh, who's going to play in that position now? If, the answer at the end of last season when Walker wasn't in the team was that those four centre-backs, as I mentioned. Now Guardiola's in. You're probably looking at one of Stones or Akanji to move over there. Rico Lewis could play there as well. Um, but it just allows you to maintain that four centre-back system and have enough depth at right back if you lose Walker and if Cancelo's not around either. So I know it looks like an embarrassment of riches, but when you actually, you know, if you were put lay it all out on a spreadsheet or whatever you want to do it, a depth chart or whatever you want to do it these days, and you remember that Guardiola's looking for that power and that presence at the back all the way across it, 
if you then ask the question, do they need him? Actually, it's probably, yeah, they did. And that's why they've paid so much money and they've waited so long to get it done. Yeah, neither, I guess this is a, a yet again another indication of modern football. You pay a big fee, but there isn't a starting eleven. But also with Guardiola ball, you're seeing people like John Stone slip into a, a different position, that defensive midfield position. I mean, is, is this a new thing we're seeing now? Or have you ever experienced that as a player yourself? In terms of people changing position, you mean? Yeah. Or, um, I'd, so I did when I was at Queen's Park Rangers and it was Ian Holloway at the time. And I'll never forget, we were in a hotel before a game and he had two boards out. And usually you just have one board, you know, here's a starting 11. We had a board out, here's us in attack and here's us in defence. And obviously we went from like a three at the back to two at the back in attack because the centre of the three was stepping into midfield and it was Grant Hall. And there's like, everyone's just looking around like, what's this guy going on about? Oh, weirdo. <laughs> and we go back, this is 2017 when he said this. Yeah, yeah. And in fairness, the system worked really, really well. You know, because it posed some questions to the opposition, like, well, who's going to deal with this person that wasn't in midfield to begin with that's in there now? And a lot of teams kind of struggled with sort of coping with how to do it. So I think um, for me, seeing the way John Stones did it was great last season. Rico Lewis was doing it for a time beforehand. But I think what's changed across the years was, I think it was two years ago, um, Cancelo was going into midfield, but he wasn't really progressing in the same way that say John Stones has the license to go around the field for example Rico was sort of similar um, but it's new it's interesting but interestingly as well this year that I watched the last preseason game and John Stones didn't really do it as much mm. you know and Kyle Walker was the one who ended up having to have a lot of play down the right hand side because City didn't really have a right winger so I don't know whether that's going to be the plan going forward but given the success that he's had I think some of it's come because every year it's slightly different so John Stones being able to go in there is a huge asset, which they don't necessarily need to do all the time. And I think you saw yourself, I think in that second league game versus Arsenal, John Stones never went into midfield, but City still dominated the game. So it's options that they have. Who knows what it's going to be like? And it's funny as well. Like Guardiola has four centre-backs back there championed. Tony Pulis has four centre-backs back there a few years ago. It's like, <laughs> this guy, what a dinosaur, you know. It's not necessarily it's football about... football heritage. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not not necessarily about, you know, what it looks like on paper. It's about what it looks like on the field. And I think he's got the right sort of balance and I expect something uh, interesting from him this year as well. I love that. Pulis Holloway and we're giving Guardiola all this credit. Actually, it it with, with the old greats, the old boys. There you go. There you go. The old timers. <laughs> I want to I pick your, both your brains on this, actually, because I feel like to, to play with Pep Guardiola, you need a level of... of of IQ, a level of intelligence, because it, it, I, I see the way he plays football a bit like plays in American sports, American football, maybe, and basketball. You, you, you've got several plays and you've got to be able to, to adapt and take that information in for the game. And he, and he sets his team up regard, you know, he sets his team up for particular games in very different ways. What we see one game is not what we see in another game, but you need to have that game intelligence. Do you think that is part of the strategy of how Manchester City buy players? Well, yeah, I think there are levels that whenever you hear about players that are new to City and they do an interview, um, maybe a year into the club, you'll just, whoever they are, they'll talk about how much Guardiola has turned their understanding of the game upside down, how he's made them look at it in a completely different way. And that's part of the reason why there's a theme that you often get that it often takes a year for players at City to settle and to really show the best form. You've seen that with Grealish this season. You've seen it with other players in the past. It's it, it's become a, a kind of maxim to just remember. And so people will have to remember that with Guardiola as well. He will be doing things very differently to how he did them at Leipzig before. But um, I think 
in the end, you'd say most of them have, have managed to succeed. The ideas are complex within themselves and it can often be to sit down and try and figure it out and watch a game and understand what's going on. It, it takes weeks and months uh, and Guardiola's way ahead of us all in that respect a lot of the time. But you get there eventually because ultimately they're very successful and you can see the ways in which it works. You know, if Guardiola has an idea, it's usually it usually comes to fruition. And so, um, yeah, look, I think players that come in have to have that level of technical, not just ability, but intelligence, like you said, that kind of, uh, you call it TQ, people on about EQ and IQ, I guess it's TQ, technical intelligence, to uh, tactical intelligence to fulfil a role. Uh, sometimes it doesn't quite work out. I think there's been a few examples of that without naming any names, but then a lot of the time after a period of settling in, they thrive and succeed in it. And uh, yeah, that's been the story of really Guardiola's era at City. Yeah, 100%. I, w- I would totally agree. And I think obviously it helps because these players are very, very good players anyway. But they they come in without the idea of essentially wanting to be a maverick. I think there's some teams everywhere around the world where you just bring in a big star and you try and build everything around said individual. Whereas at City and some of these other sides as well, it's about the system and the way that people play together. And I think one thing that they get right, in my opinion, is when somebody comes in, they'll tell you where to be, what position to look at, how to see the game, but he comes with an explanation why. So as time passes, the players understand why they're doing it. Whereas there are some managers who just tell you, just stand here and you can do it and you'd never understand the why. When you don't understand the why, you don't continue to do it because you say, well, this isn't working. But at City, you've got a manager, you've got coaching staff, you've got players who've been there a long time who can tell you exactly why you stand in this position, exactly why you squeeze the way that you squeeze, exactly why you roll the ball to the goalkeeper. You know, some people are still uneasy with that. We roll it to Edison because he's going to trigger about four different movements. You know, he's going to buy more time for this. Like, you give it to Grish. Why is he not dribbling at someone? Well, they all know the why. Like, we don't know from the outside, but they all know the why. And as a consequence, you start to see the game in a different manner. And the success that they've had is very hard as a player to question it when they're winning 80% of their games. They're winning the trophies that they've won. They're some of the best players in the world who are at the absolute peak in their own careers. And it's without having to have that sort of maverick nature around any individual. So I think the fact that they do recruit people who are capable of fitting into that structure, that mentality and that sort of culture that exists at the football club, I think that's fair play to them because, you know, you could bring in someone that has the skills but ultimately, can they transfer into what City are trying to go for? And that's why I think at times, in my opinion, and this could be way off the mark, mm. you look at the team that they have today and all those players, barring say one or two, weren't perceived in the same way like Haaland was last year where everyone was trying to sign them. They brought in players who've come in and they've gotten better to the point where now everyone believes this is how they came. But it's not really like that, which says a lot about the sort of the coaching that they have and the culture that's there at the football club as well. Well, we look, talk about this idea of uh, TQ, as, as I've just been told. Nice one. I like that. I'm going to put that in my pocket. Kovacic has come in. Um, very experienced player. Incredibly experienced. Real Madrid, Chelsea, now Manchester City. You feel this is a player that fits into the mould and also can adapt to a, a rather complex system that, that Guardiola plays, Mark? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, Kovacic... Look, losing Gundogan at the end of last season on the free is it's a huge hole to try and fill because he was the captain, he was a leader, but he was also a very good player at the end and he was so influential in games. Um, I don't know if Kovacic has ever quite had the same similar role that Gundogan had at uh, sorry that Gundogan had at City. He never quite showed the same role at Chelsea, and then I don't think he was signed directly as a replacement either. But at the same time, he's he's a guy who can take the ball under pressure 
can withstand that pressure, move it out and move it upfield. And that is one thing that Gundogan was also excellent at. So he'll come in and he'll fulfil that role and that need. Um, yeah, and look, Guardiola the same. Everyone talks, if you know anything about Guardiola, they talk about his passing ability, his dribbling ability, his ability to carry the ball, move it into spaces. We're, we're landing on fundamentally the same type of attributes, the same type of characteristics that are always fulfilled in a Guardiola team. And uh, so really it's no surprise that these have been their two main targets that they managed to get in this summer. And they've, yeah, they've been moving along the same lines. Yeah, just just a quick one on any more business City might be looking to bring anyone in uh, after, obviously, the, these two signings. Uh, uh, Michael Elise is one on, on the lips of a lot of people. Is anything solid with that or is it still sort of hearsay? Is it still a sort of, is he still on their list, as they say? Yeah, well, I think he's certainly on the list. There's certainly interest there um, as far as our information is, um, you know, and you can see why he's young, he's homegrown. Um, he's coming off the back of a really impressive season. Um, I think I actually voted for him as unsung player of the season in my athletic awards panel, which he didn't win, <laughs> but still, that's okay. Uh, just me and Pep on that one, I guess. Um, but no, like there's a piece on The Athletic today from uh, our Palace correspondent, Matt Woosnam, Um And he was saying Palace haven't received any formal offers yet, but his information is that the £35 million release clause that has um, been said to be in his contract remains in place. Now, if you're City, you think you could just come in and pay that. There's a few complicating factors there. He got this he got this hamstring injury at the under-21s with France, which is probably going to see him out until October. So, and, you know, as far as we understand, there's other names on the list as well. They're not just limited to one name. So we'll see over the coming weeks exactly uh, exactly where they land their target on. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akinwalere. What is different about this team, Pep? I spoke to you the other day and we, we, you've lost in finals with this team. You've lost at different, different times, big, massive games, heartbreaks. What's different about this team that you have now compared to the teams you have I think before? we defend a little bit better in the box. We are four central defenders plus Sky, we are proper defenders. We are, even when we make mistakes, we are, I think, had the feeling we are more solid. Nadim, what, what does this big signing, 90 million euros for um, Gradiol, mean for the rest of the league? Obviously, City are slightly depleted, but let's also face it, you've got a, a team that has a relatively, has two relative starting 11s. Are CT depleted? Come on, tell me. You, you're, you're not, uh, don't know I, about look, that, my friend. Bro, bro, what, come on. From, from, from anybody let, else sitting here you from stop another it, team. You, you stop it, Aya. So, <laughs> from another team. I'm watching no, no, this no, and no, I'm no. thinking, let me, come on, man. Okay, so this is this is something I thought last season. I saw it specifically in the preseason game that they had. Yeah. So against Atletico, they made seven changes. And the team that City had then... They were doing all right. And then let's go made 10 changes. And on came Angel Correa, on came Memphis Depay, on came Llorente. They were bringing in some like real established names. But the team it started with was also a starting team. Whereas for City at the time, they were bringing on Oscar Bob, they were bringing on James McAtee, uh, Rico Lewis was coming on. And it wasn't the same. You know what I mean? Like they have a starting 11 and probably three or four more who we've seen play lots of games in the Premier League. But then the next tier after that is a lot of unproven people who mm-hmm. lots of people aren't necessarily comfortable with seeing play on a week-to-week basis. It's not so that they can't do that because come this season, they might end up being the most important players, but it's not that same sort of energy. And when I look at, say, City signing Vardiol and so on and so forth, what I think, and this may, again may be a hot take, is that City are doing what they're doing, but some of the success that they've had is because other teams have fallen short. And it's not just in a head-to-head with City, it's in their own version of the season themselves. Prime example last season, in my opinion, was with Arsenal. To be top for 90% of the season, City could have won the two games against Arsenal and still lost the title if Arsenal would have been in better form for that penultimate month of the season. You know, that wasn't City that meant that Arsenal lost at home to Brighton or that say they dropped the points when they were in the lead against West Ham. You know, that's not a City focus. And I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point where, you know, if they win four in a row, does this mean that it's a new Bundesliga? I think, again, it's for me to say this and people will be like, oh, of course you say this, you're a City guy. Barring maybe one of those, it's been a title race. You're looking at seasons where Liverpool and City were both the standard. It wasn't just City. City crossed the line, but Liverpool were a point behind. They were two points behind. And if you look at their records, as I say, they both win in 28, 27 games throughout the season. But again, because Liverpool didn't get across the line, we're making it seem like it's just this big monopoly where City just win the title with ease every season. But it's not that. You know that as well. I don't even try and say otherwise. I'm, 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 I'm going to call you out on that one because in fairness, let's look at the players both either Arsenal and City have, right? Let's say you, you've, you've, you've got a centre forward that needs to come on. So Arsenal are bringing on Nketiah. Manchester City are bringing on Alvarez. The, yeah. the, the level of quality between both players, not to say Andy Ketia isn't keep, a baller. Keep going, go, okay, keep going around there. Keep going, <laughs> keep, no, going. keep going around the field. Don't just say one position. Don't just say one position. All right, let's, let's, talk, let's talk wingers now then. Let's talk wingers now. Okay, well, who have you got okay. playing for you? Okay, we've got Martinelli. You've got Sakari the side, right? Who, who comes, Does he play? 
Does and he Trossard, play? Yeah, but that, oh, that he does play. It's, ah, but, it's fine. Yeah. No, no, carry yeah, on. Yeah, but hold on a second. Then when you've got <laughs> Gabriel Jesus, who's injured, who occupies that front line? Trossard does come in, for sure. But who then comes in as a, as a centre forward after that? I'm, I'm serious. I, of course, everything. I know what you're saying. Their, I know everything's what you're saying. got their in particular goggles on, for sure. But the level of quality is drastically different. Listen. I'm acutely aware of what you're saying. I'm acutely aware of what you're saying. But the depth isn't isn't as deep as people think. I think in the end last season, I think Guardiola made the most changes, but then in terms of the top few teams, but then actually used the fewest amount of players in doing so. Because it was always yeah. like a small group of people that were doing it all the time. And I understand exactly. He worked exactly. with small squads. He exactly. worked with small squads. And like the, the quality is concentrated, but it's also backed up in, in different positions by younger players. And I think that's been um, a bit of a... I, like I... I I'm I'm in this little debate here I'm kind of edging towards Nader if I'm honest because I think you did hear a lot last season about City's depth City's depth City's mm, depth but mm. there was like the bench sometimes was filled out with kids honestly so it's it's really great players in specific positions that can come in and do a job and do a really excellent job but in other in other places they were a little bit short and look this is a team that's basically not had a not had a left back for the last 5 years or whatever you know mm. that but still Still, they've been that dominant. And yeah, that raises different questions that I'm sure we'll get into. Of, but of I don't think it's as easy as saying the, the, the depth is the depth is is, is great and well, it's always been there. What I would say at the start of last season when City have Nathan Ake and Manuel Kanji playing in a Manchester derby, how many teams around the country are thinking, oh, this, is, this doesn't feel right, this is cheating, there's no way they should have those two playing in that position? The answer is it's not going to be many. Let's be clear. I, I guess that there's another conversation about the experience and the intelligence of the manager in situations like this and being able to mix it up a little bit differently. I mean, th- th- there are so many variants in this conversation as opposed to just player power. Yeah, I'm, that, I'm that, seeing that, PTSD on my screen right now. <laughs> You'll be all right. Don't worry about you it. You see that little twitch in my eye? Like, it's a little twitch. <laughs> well, let, let's, you, you talked about it though, but let, let, let's talk about the Premier League and Manchester City's dominance. Uh, are we at the point where we could possibly see if they do win another Premier League, what we are seeing with the Bundesliga and the dominance of of, of Bayern Munich. Explain, talk. Um, I think that, look, City of, like, I knew this question was coming, so I got my fingers out last night and I started <laughs> doing some arithmetic, right? So City have won five of the last six, Bayern have won six of the last six, City have won seven of the last 12 and Bayern have won 11 of the last 12. So I don't think that we're not there yet and I also think that we we have been here before in the Premier League as well because you know when United were at the Manchester top of the United. game, I think they won, yeah, they won eight of eleven at the start, and I think they won five of seven at the end of Fergie's um, of Fergie's reign. So, look, I don't think we're there yet, but like I've, I covered both clubs and I've covered them both for like six or seven years now, and so having watched both and gone to the game every week, whatever. It feels different, City. I've got to say, having lived through that United era as well, it feels different because they do win more games. Like Nevin said, they take more points. They they suffocate and they dominate opponents. Like I don't think any of the team that we've ever seen in English football. Um, and so there's a difference. And look, I think there's a there's a whole like adjacent debate about like um, the club ownership and, and club ownership's proximity to Abu Dhabi and sports washing the Premier League charges, which we. Definitely don't have time to get into today on this podcast. That's another pod, don't worry. We've got a whole season ahead of us. Don't you worry. But look, I think I would always say that the the takeover is the reason why City are able to be where they are. But I think when we come to this debate about their dominance, the difficulty is we've never had a period of City dominance without Pep being the manager. And so the key is what happens when Pep goes. 
And and your answer to that question really is where you lie in this debate, I think. It's like, I've to be honest, when I've had I've had this debate with Sam Lee, I've had this debate with the other journalists that cover City. Um, we can have it right here, right now, if you want. My my thing was always that when he goes, they'll just get the next best guy and they'll do it all over again. But who and, you is know, who is that though? Well, exactly. Right. Okay. What kind of premium manager have we got in world football? Well, exactly. Yeah. Well, this is to be honest. This is this is what I'm coming on to because. I had a think at the end of last season and I did reconsider that a little bit. And I thought, who is as good as Guardiola? His thing is that he's kind of a genius at like problem solving, that he'll come up with an idea that nobody's thought of before. And like I said, they haven't had a left back, so he's played all manner of players there and they've been cutting inside and becoming inverted. They played up front without a striker for a season. They still won the league. Then they signed a striker last season. He, he rips up every record that there is, he's on for 40, 50 goals, whatever. But he thinks that they're playing too quick. They're not playing, there's not enough control in the game. So he changes the whole system and they actually get better and they actually win a treble through that. Like what other manager can do that? And so I like having thought that, well, maybe it'll just continue when, when Guardiola leaves. I do think it's obvious he's so good that they're going to lose something. And maybe that's the moment where the Premier League becomes a little bit more competitive. But the fact of the matter is he's still there. He's uh, been there much longer than he expected. That's whole wrapped up in the whole resources and money and whatever takeover. All that, That's he, he's still there. And if any club can dominate the Premier League for the next 10 years, it's City. It's City. They're in as, the position as long, Are you saying as long as Guardiola stays there? As long as Guardiola stays there. But then, I mean, look, even if you left, like I said before, they, they could still go and get the next best guy. I just don't think that next guy is going to be as good as him. And that is maybe that is maybe where it be- things become a little bit more competitive. Although I take the point that, yeah, absolutely. Liverpool pushed them so for Arsenal too last season. They've been pushed to the limit, but they've always come out on top at the same time. Well, Nadim, you're nodding. What are you thinking? No, 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 I agree because the perspective he's put on, say, Guardiola, like this does feel like Guardiola era. Like City have been whoever they've been, but they've been years gone by when he wasn't there where, you know, they might win a league or next season they might finish third or something. I think he is essentially the difference in the same way that when you talk about Man United in the 90s, that's like the Fergie era. Fergie was the difference. And I think when Guardiola does leave, the next best manager coming in, he could be very good, but he's not going to be generational. And I think we've seen that it's the generational managers that seem to have prolonged periods in places where they can be in a position to dominate. Because another manager with the same resources that City have had across the same years, you know, it could be like, um, what's he called? Mancini. Losing in, a, in an FA Cup final to Wigan, like Pep would never, you know what I mean? And whereas we then compare it to the Bundesliga throughout those 11, 12 years, you couldn't, we couldn't even name who all the managers have been, but you know that in the Bundesliga, Bayern don't even necessarily need to be at their absolute best to finish up on top. Prime example, last season where they kind of stuttered their way through and even on the last day, you know, Dortmund are destined to win it and then they fall short and Bayern win it yet again. You know what I mean? The, they've probably... It just feels like, in my opinion, and again, people saying bias, but it's, this is this is the perspective that I have. The years when City have won the league in recent times, they've had to go to the very, very edge and they couldn't afford to not be good. Like last season when Arsenal have got 50 points at the halfway mark in the season, I don't think Bayern are facing that pressure, you know, every few years. Whereas, whereas Liverpool did it, Arsenal have done it. And as a consequence, you know, as you approach that last stage, you have to be perfect. I don't think Bayern have to be, but there are spells where City have to be, but they're capable of doing that. Firstly, because of the players, but primarily because of the person in charge of making sure that they stay focused on a game-to-game basis, which is Guardiola. Well, let's talk 
touch on staying focused because what an extraordinary extraordinary season last season was, right? A treble, finally the Champions League that's eluded this team for, for so many years, well, first Champions League ever. This is a, a really special moment for a club. Energy's up this way, right? You're, you're vibed, you're high, you've gone into your summer, you're chilling. Coming into this season, a lot of teams have also bolstered their squad, right? A lot of teams are hungry. Liverpool are hungry. Chelsea are hungry. Manchester United are hungry. Arsenal, obviously, have bolstered their squad. How do you motivate that that squad to have the same mentality? We also know City naturally start a little slow and then they just gallop forward um, when you come to a particular part of the season. How, how This is one of the greatest managers of all time. How on earth does he do it? Um, well, obviously, this is a unique position to motivate mm. a team after a treble. You know, they have won the league in the past and they face some level of disappointment at the end of a season to some extent. But I think, and I could be way off the mark here, but I'm pretty sure I'm not. It's just an opinion, players, I'm interested. Yeah, I know, but these players that win all the time, you know, it's great and they had the success that they had. But I'll tell you when you bring out the best in them is after they lose a game mm. because they have to react. So you could say, how do you motivate yourself after you've been so great? I guarantee if they lose two, three games in the first like month of the season, they'll rally together and give you a form of football, which is probably better than they had at the finishing point of last season. And that's the way that, as I say, that these teams go because they don't accept to drop in standards and you can try and come into something lax, but it's all well and good till you get a punch in the face. And that will always bring out, you know, that will always bring out something in you. Like people, every time one of the big teams in world football loses the week before, you got to back them to win the next one because their reaction, they're not used to losing two games in a row and the focus and desire and drive that will be put into that next game is going to be right there. So they'll start the season. And I think, again, it depends what the other sides are doing. If they start slowly, you know, I'm sure they'll be disappointed with that because they're a bunch of winners. Like that's why they win so many years. And there are other players like that, other teams, but they win. These guys fight to be the first one into training, fight to win, you know, like the hydration tests in the morning, fight to win like a five-a-side in training. There's no way that they'll just down tools and say, well, we've done it all now. Whereas I think for, you know, fans, you've had the joy of that and maybe it'd be a bit more weird for them, but I guarantee you this season, if they lose a derby game, if they lose a game to Liverpool, if they lose this, if they lose that, the fire will be right there again, you know, and you hope that they don't have to get to that level. But I think, I think they'll be fine, to be honest. They're very good professionals. I always look at City as this sort of huge financial juggernaut a little bit like you know a big bank in the city or whatever that you have to up the stakes every season and they find the resources whichever way they can to keep up in those stakes now the bigger question is from your perspective mark who do we see around them that can also step up arsenal have brought them close liverpool naturally who else are we seeing across the landscape of the premier league this season that could really challenge manchester city regardless of all their resources to the premier league title I think that like the the thing is that if it, City weren't so dominant, then it would be a really open field, right? Like you can just pick out strengths, but also pick out holes in basically every other team. Like Arsenal, obviously excellent for especially the first half, and then probably about three quarters of last season. But I don't know. Like personally, I look at like some of the business they've done, and they've spent really heavily and like on players, big names. Um, you would just wonder about the profiles, how it's going to work. Um, so there's there's question marks there. Liverpool, I think they've had to do a lot of nece- there's been a lot of like churn, if you like. They've had to basically bring in a whole new midfield, uh, and so you for them, yeah, that was necessary. But they're kind of at the back of a new cycle now, and it might be another transition year. Um, obviously, it could be United as well, and like, um, I think last season went as well as it could possibly have gone, and I think. 
the business this summer has addressed the need so far. But there was a little bit, I don't know, there was just a little bit of air in their performances as well, I think. And so you just wonder if that resets. And so you can, you know, you can go through every single contender. Chelsea, new manager, was absolutely like wreckage of the season last season. Uh, Tottenham, new manager. Again, not a good season. Uh, Newcastle, how are they going to cope with the Champions League? There's holes that you can pick in every single one of these and you're up against a team that dominates and is <laughs> close to flawless and is coming off the back of a treble. So, like, it's just hard not to conclude that, you know, there's going to be sky boot, sky blue boots stamping on the Premier League face forever or whatever. Can you just give us They're some jeopardy so going into the season, please? Like, what is this? What is I'll this? give you something. <laughs> Go on, then. I'll, give, I'll give you something. City will do whatever they're going to do, yeah. But yeah. as you try and decide who's going to be up there, I remember it was Mark Hughes that gave, me, gave this perspective in terms of how to accrue points. If you beat the bottom 10 teams twice over, that's 60 points. So which team has got the capability to be able to beat those teams there to give themselves a foundation to have like a big push? Because from there, say you then beat uh, 9 and 10, you're looking at 72 points. If we think that 80 plus points gets you in and around a conversation for the title race for mm. most of the season, you look around, you think, well, yeah, I think Liverpool can do that. I'm thinking, yeah, I think United, United maybe will be able to do that. I did that for long periods last season. You know what I mean? You can go to Arsenal. I think Arsenal can do that because they were doing that exceptionally well to a certain point. And their drop-off was so, came for me personally, like I, I wasn't like an Arsenal doubter throughout the season. I was watching them play. I was like, they're playing really good football and they're winning every single week. But people are like, yeah, but I was like, well, what, what, what more can they do? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is it. So I think I think they're better than last season. And that, for some reason, ended up feeling like a hot take amongst lots of my peers. But I think they're better. And I think they are capable of getting into the 80-point range again. But I think Liverpool are as well. And I think City are as well, as it stands. So I think they're going to be the three teams that are going to be right up in there. And, and as a consequence, you know, the head-to-heads might matter. But realistically, do they matter that much unless it's a timing thing? Because you still need to accrue the points elsewhere. And I think those three teams, as it stands for me, they're going to be the three right in the mix. And I think it's going to be a good title race. But who's going to win the title, though? No, no, it's too early. I'm not even ready for that. I'm not even ready for that. I don't need that. I just need to know who's going to battle it's going it to be out. Seen. It's going to be seen. Give, give be me seen. till January and we'll have that chat. Like, just not, not, not nothing. Okay. Till January feels like anything solid. It's still mad season, top end of the Premier League. Yeah. And we know City naturally start quite slow anyway. I've been sucked into that narrative. Oh, yeah, someone's got... Look. Let's just see in January. Let's see who starts gathering points. And also, you're right. Champions League football for Newcastle. Chelsea don't actually have much big competitions other than domestic cups, really, to think about this season. So it could be really fascinating for Pochettino. Anyway, right, we need to stop the pod because I think we're running out of time. But thank you so much, Mark, Nadam, an absolute pleasure. Remember, you can also read more about City's move for Gradio and keep right up to date with all this summer's transfer window activity on The Athletic. Sign up today for just one at 99 a month for an entire year at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark, with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. To listen to other great Athletic Football Podcasts for free, search for The Athletic on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places and head to theathletic.com slash footballpod for the very latest subscription offers. The Athletic Football Podcast is an Athletic Media Company production. 